Hey, what's up there, Surf Splendor podcast listeners? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, David Scales, as always, of course, and we're thrilled to have you back. I hope that you enjoyed uh, last week's episode with Peter King talking about tour notes. I really enjoyed Peter. We got good feedback about Peter. He recently moved in about a mile from me, so we're neighbors now. And he's out of town often, as you heard him talk about in that interview. But I'm hoping that when he is in town, that, you know, we can do this more often and get updates on tour notes. But I think he's just an interesting dude to just have chime in on things. Tony Roberts, um, the photographer who we've done a couple episodes with, commented on Facebook that, you know, is there anyone more connected and more candid than Peter King? And I think that's a great point. There's a lot of guys who are connected, of course, but not a lot that are as candid, but also as tactful and respectful, I think, as Peter is. So, um, you know, people don't mind allowing him to get close because he never really reveals anything that's inappropriate, but the things that he reveals are always insightful. And that's, of course, the success of Tour Notes and a lot of what we talked about in that episode. You can also look forward next week. Um, I have an interview with Todd Glazer, who's a surf photographer. And I don't know how closely you pay attention to photographers' credits on images. He he works mainly for Surfer Mag, uh, but does a lot of work with other brands and then travels a lot with Kelly Slater specifically. And so Todd's work, I guarantee that you've seen. And... Um, Really interesting interview with Todd talking a lot about, you know, photography itself, but also just interesting insight into Kelly and a lot of those top level athletes. Um, Todd was in the water when Kelly did that 540 in Portugal. He was actually on that trip with Kelly specifically. So he was shooting the whole, you know, shooting with Kelly daily, basically. And um, Peter King last week's episode was on the beach filming the beach angle of that move. And Todd was in the water shooting water photos and uh, actually missed Kelly's 540 because he was slightly out of position. And he had a lens that, you know, he had a fisheye lens, which wouldn't have uh, served that type of a maneuver very well anyways, unless he was right underneath it. But, you know, Todd talks about that maneuver and that day and, and everything that surrounds it. So look forward to that interview next week. I'm going to read a tweet really quickly from... At X Zolian says, Surf Splendor. Is the show called Surf Splendor or Down the Line? Love the show. Just confused what to call it. That is a great point. Thank you for that tweet. We have mentioned the partnership a lot early on, but I don't think we've really revisited it probably for a year or so. And I know that we have new listeners since then. So it's definitely worth restating. And basically, the the short story is I started Surf Splendor podcast about a year and a half ago. And the goal was just to do conversations about surfing with people within the industry, basically. And a couple episodes in, I realized that there was a need to do kind of a current topic show, like a surf news, if you will. And Scott Bass has been doing a show called Down the Line since 2006, or maybe it was 2005. And it began on terrestrial radio in San Diego and then uh, was a podcast with Surfer Magazine for a while when he worked there. So it's taken shape in a number of different platforms, but he's been doing it pretty consistently for nine years. And so I knew that he had that going on in San Diego, and I um, he had gone through a number of co-hosts, and 
currently had no co-host. And so he was wavering on consistency. And I had an ambition to do something consistently and thought that I might be able to, you know, fill in as his co-host and I could hopefully glean some of his listenership and he would benefit from my consistency. And so I contacted him and that's kind of what has happened is we actually record the show simultaneously. He continues to publish it under his down the line radio title uh, as a podcast And I basically simulcast this show under my Surf Splendor header. And so obviously there's no revenue involved with either show. It's just kind of a way that I don't want to wrench creative control from him. And it's something that he's done really well for a long time. And I admire that and I'm reverent towards it. And at the same time, he doesn't want to ask me to come co-host for free. So I guess, you know, the, the amicable, uh, division is just that we both record separately. We both simulcast our own version of it. Um, but a hundred percent of his show nowadays is co-hosted by me and you can find it here on surf splendor surf splendor. On the other hand, in the off weeks from down the line, um, we do these profile pieces. Like I said, last week was with Peter King next week's with Todd Glazer. So it's kind of like two weeks in the month, our profile pieces and two weeks in the month, are surf news pieces and we just alternate weeks so i don't know if that's a super confusing explanation or not but um that's as best as i could do so hopefully that makes sense to you and uh, i hope that you enjoy both formats we've gotten really only positive feedback about the alternating formats i think one person at one point said that they don't like teasing apart the two but there's nothing really to tease apart you know it all exists on surf splendor but if you like scott If you like to continue to download Scott's thing, you can get it there, of course, at Down the Line Radio. I've always been a fan of that. So um, whatever you find it, as long as you're listening, I suppose that's all that matters. So thanks for listening. Without further ado, I lead you into today's show, and I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. Thanks for listening. God, best song ever right there, Powderfinger, Neil Young. It's November 17th. It's a Monday. You're listening to Down the Line Surf Talk Radio, David Lee Scales. I'm Scott Bass, and we've got a lot to talk about. But, David, first, your thoughts on Powderfinger, Neil Young, and Crazy Horse. Is it the best song ever? It's one of Neil Young's best songs ever, that's for sure. And I am a Neil Young fan. It's not my favorite track personally, but I think it's obvious. I mean, it's a great track, no question about it. Do you follow his, what he's doing now with like the audio digital world? Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. Pono is his deal? Yeah, it's really a cool thing. Are you going to get one? I don't know. You know, it's his whole thing is, look, it's not for everybody. You know, he's like, if you Scott Bass, it it could be. Yeah, I'm sort of uh, the reason I'm hesitant is because I've got so much technology in my life already. I'm I'm a. I'm a little bit hesitant to sign up for more technology, you know? Yeah. But the idea behind it, in case the listeners don't know, and you, you probably know a lot about it too, is it's basically his way of, of making the listening experience more robust by, by bringing in more sound to the file. Right? Basically, 
there's more information in his audio file. Right. Like like a one meg song might be a two gig song. Exactly. For him. Yeah. Right. He so says the way that better than an LP, better than vinyl, I should say. The way that MP3s are rendered, you know, it they're just, compressed to hell, and exactly. they lose a lot of the sound, a lot of the love, and yeah. He's like, if you like my music and you've only heard it on MP3, you know, through iTunes, it's the equivalent of your favorite movie, but you've only seen the trailer of it. You've yeah. never actually seen the full film. You've only seen the trailer a bunch of times. And there's a bunch of, um, you know, he did sort of the media circuit recently to to uh, promote Pono and also his new album that's out. So there's quite a few um, interviews with Neil Young that you can find on either YouTube. I know Howard Stern did like a two hour interview with him. Um, I saw a really good Charlie Rose with him recently. Um, All again on this sort of tour, you know, uh, promotion tour that that Neil Young doesn't really do too many of those. So I think it's a big deal for him. How Um, do you feel about the fact that he's dating Daryl Hannah? I don't care one way or another. I mean, more power to him. It's none of my business. He's know? arguably the ugliest musician <laughs> of all time. So I think that's I a know. big pull for who, him. Who else is ugly out there? The guy from, uh, the guy from, uh, God, I can't, the bald guy. Um, Name a song. I don't know. <laughs> I'm having an old man moment. but Dylan's pretty ugly. Dylan, Dylan sounds like you, this might be, you might be too young for this. Do you remember the Andy Griffith show? Yes. And do you remember Floyd the Barber? No. Well, Floyd the Barber was a character on the Andy Griffith show, and Bob Dylan sounds just like Floyd the Barber. When really? Bob Dylan sings, he sounds like Floyd the Barber just talking. Okay. Challenge you to go look up some Floyd this the Barber. This will be like the power rankings that you made us do for surf brands. Yes. Power rankings. I didn't make you do them. You didn't even do them. <laughs> I did them by myself. Listen, power ranking ugliest weirdest voice musician okay because both that's a good one because neil young super ugly super un um unorthodox voice you know squealy yeah Yeah. and then dylan also super ugly really weird voice yeah i don't think that there's i mean those are one and two right there i don't think there are any others dylan had a show on sirius xm radio it was really really good i don't know the name of it but it was basically bob dylan he would talk about a song he would take a theme like he would say love and then he would play all songs that either had the word love in it or reflected love to Bob Dylan. And he had this incredible monotone delivery where he would just go, this is Bob Dylan. And, 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 he, and I can't, I would butcher it if I tried to do it. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty fascinating because he just kind of delivers this really like, you know, just monotone, just like really yeah. dead kind of delivery with no emotion. I, I hope it, he wasn't only playing his songs. No, no. He was playing all sorts of cool okay, stuff. Good, it was yeah. really fascinating, but the good stuff wasn't really the music. It was what he was saying yeah, of course. between the songs, which was really fascinating. Have I ever told you about Henry Rollins' show that he does on KCRW? No, but it must be good because he's pretty opinionated. He's really interesting, dude. And I bring it up because listeners could actually find it on KCRW.com. They archive everything there. Yeah. Henry Rollins has a couple hour show on Saturday nights and he's interesting, of course, to hear talk, but he'll do stuff like he'll play songs that you might've heard before, but then he'll go, all right, for this next track, this comes off the B side of a cassette tape back when, when Black Flag and I were uh, playing in 1988 in Chicago, blah, blah, blah. 
I, I received this tape from a fan who walked up after state after the show, walked up on stage and gave this to me of him and his buddies playing in their garage. This is track number three off the B side off that album. <laughs> it's like, what? He doesn't know the name of the band or anything. It's just a demo tape from 88 that he got, you know? So really cool, interesting stuff like that. And the music is fine. Sometimes it's good, yeah. but it's just interesting to hear his take on music you yeah. know, and hear him talk. So. Yeah, he's got some, he's an interesting guy. I mean, uh, I haven't heard a whole lot of stuff, but occasionally on the internet, you'll, somebody will post something about, you know, that Henry Rollins said about some topic that is, you know, rather polarizing. Mm-hmm. And you're sometimes surprised by the stance that Henry Rollins takes. Oh yeah. He's a cool dude for sure. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen Dylan or, or Neil Young play? Have you ever seen I've seen live? Neil Young live. Have yeah, you? I have. Yeah. At the San Diego sports arena, probably like 91 or something like that. Was it good? No. I can't remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling, like I saw Dylan uh, with my dad a couple years ago and it was not good. But, you know, I love Dylan so much and I love Neil Young too, but it just like... And, you know, it's not that... The reason I don't remember isn't that I was like blotto, but it was. it's that I was so caught up in my disease of going to get blotto or, oh, you know, okay. like... like it what it wasn't the focus of my evening. Got you know it. what I mean? You were just looking and for I've a let vehicle out to go. Way too much information. Sure, sure, I don't sure. want you to go any further than that. No, that's fine. Um, Daryl Hannah, by the way, not aged so gracefully. <laughs> well, so there you go. Two ugly people. What's the big surprise? <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, definitely better than better than uh, Neil Young has or ever was. But still, it's like what? That's Daryl Hannah. Yikes. I'm, now this guy, this ugly, this other ugly singer has just been on the tip of my tongue. I'm, it's going to come out at one point during the show. I'm going to remember who the guy is. Um, uh, final note on Pumpkin, Smashing Pumpkin. Oh, Billy Corgan. Yeah, Billy Corgan. He's an ugly dude. Yeah, not on par with the other two guys, though. Give him time. He's, okay. He's only, what, 40? Yeah, that's true. Um, last, last kind of uh, thing about music before we get into surfing. Yes. Bob Dylan, there's a biopic made about him a number of years ago called I'm Not There. Yeah. Did you ever see that? No. Highly recommended. I loved it. They had yeah. five different actors playing Dylan, hmm. from Richard Gere to Kate Blanchett, actually. Radical. Playing his kind of late 60s, um, you know. Uh, I can see you with, with like a bottle of Pino and your, <laughs> and your wife and you're watching this biopic on Dylan. It's, it's all so artsy, David. My wife hates it, but I think it's fantastic. <laughs> the so, Pino or the movie? The movie. Right. Most movies that I like, she's not a fan of. At any rate, we got to catch up from our last show. Dorian yes. uh, Doc Paskowitz, who was our Duke, passed away since we last spoke. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my wife about this this morning. She goes, oh, you're going to talk about Dorian? And I was like, yeah, maybe we sort of talked about it last week. But yeah, he so he passed away. Very sad, but he lived a long, full life. And, um, you know, David and I would both highly recommend you watch the documentary Surf Wise. It's the story of uh, the Pasquitz clan. And the thing that's fascinating about Surf Wise is, you know, in the next, um, you know, week and a half or two weeks, you're going to see a lot of great stuff written about Dorian Paskowitz. And it's all quite flowery and as it should be because he just passed away. But there certainly is a dark side to the Paskowitz clan and to the patriarch known as Doc Paskowitz. And this movie sort of excavates that, you know, some of the stuff he did. There's some there's some drama around the family life there that makes the movie very much worth watching. Yeah, I agree. Um, Another thing was we were talking about the Titans of Maverick Mavericks event? Yes. And uh, Peter Mel, right? 
There yeah, we saying, talked it was about a bummer Peter. That yeah. Peter didn't get an invitation to that. And talking about how Steve Coletta was named the head judge, and we were just kind of wondering about his... We both love Steve and think he's a fantastic dude and amazing shaper and all that, but we were wondering what his judging uh, credentials were. I got a text message from my buddy Eric Kramer, who was an ASP judge for 10 years, and um, he said, through the 80s and 90s, Coletta was one of the best judges from California on the Bud Tour and ASP North America level. And there's not a lot of complexity to to the big wave criteria. It's basically just comparisons and separations around commitment and degree of difficulty. Also, Steve Coletta's son uh, was judging for a while on the ASP North America in the early 2000s. Cool. Kalu. Kalu Coletta. There you go. Yeah. Well, speaking of Titans of Mavericks, I also have an update um, in regard to that. You know, um, interestingly, John John Florence has been um, invited to that. And um, there's been some speculation over whether he's allowed to even do that because he's an ASP surfer and this is a non-ASP sanctioned event. And, um, you know, the waiting period for the Titans of Mavericks is January 1 to March 31. So the season really kicks off at Snapper Rocks right around that last week in March. It could very well start in April. So you could argue that, hey, he's not even... you know, there's no con- conflict here with an ASP event, which is one of the bylaws. Um, somebody posted some of the bylaws. I don't know if you saw this um, in regards to what the ASP will allow, will not allow. And it says that um, the ASP shall not be, it shall not be reasonable to refuse a surfer's application for a waiver. In other words, we'll let you surf in this event. However, it has to be an exempt event who's Dates do not conflict with the WCT. So you and I have just clarified that it doesn't seem as if there's a date conflict. And B, any other event whose dates do not conflict with an event window or a WCT event or seven days before or after that event window, which does not in any substantive and material way compete with the ASP or WCT event. So it seems as if you could argue that, look, he's free to surf in the Titans of Mavericks if he gets the waiver. Um, Of course, behind all of that is you know, would John John even put the ASP to the task? I mean, what is the ASP going to do? They're going to say, no, you can't surf on the tour. That would be silly, right? That would be taking one of the stars away. Right. But Skin Dog Collins pointed out, hey, it's kind of gnarly to surf Mavericks. I mean, you could ruin yourself and your career, at least a year of it, by blowing out a knee or a back or a shoulder or whatever. It happens all the time out there. And it's not like John John Florence is surfing out there a lot. Um, Yeah, and with... If that were to happen and he were to apply for an injury wild card and the ASP had multiple applications for that, I wonder if they would frown upon the fact that he was injured doing an alternative event. You know, whereas if there's a guy like Tiago last year who got injured during the CT season, they're more likely to give it to him, maybe. Even though Tiago's not as much of a marquee surfer, of course, that comes in. But I just wonder how they would hash out those details. Yeah, it would be interesting. Um you know, it's be hard to say no to John John Florence. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Just it's just a stupid marketing move to to not, you know, if all of these things played out that way. Um, one interesting thing though, um, if they didn't grant John John Florence a waiver and he surfed in it anyway, the actual fine from the ASP is all of his prize money. Wow. Um, a quarter million fine, loss of seating rank, and the ability to surf the tour next year. Whoa. That's how heavy the punishment is crazy yeah so they they make sure that you don't take this lightly 
That's insane. I mean, John, John, that's still not a drop. It's a drop in the bucket for him in terms of what he makes in a year, but still. And the bad PR that would you know, oh, come yeah. out of this would be huge. But, but it also brings us back to the start of this. Like, you want some good PR, let Peter Mel surf in this event, right? Like, this is kind of like, you know, growing the pond type of thing. Don't be so paranoid about it. Right. Let him surf in it. It's good for the big wave world tour. I know it's not a part of that, but to have the commissioner surf at, you know, what could argue, arguably be called, you know, quote unquote, his spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be silly not to have him do it. And yeah, it's an and unfortunate, have- everyone that you talk to goes, Oh, that's lame. Right. You know, so the, so the, Oh, that's lame quotient is, is rather high. Well, I'd like to point out one correction. You said that the Snapper event kicks off at the end of March. It actually, this year's event kicked off March 1st. Oh, oh, you know what? You're right. Absolutely. It's usually the end of February. Right. Start, yeah. So there could, so there be, could be actually yeah. more overlap than, you know, more yeah. cause for concern, basically. But you got to figure John John's probably not going to do it based on what you just said about the dates and about the injury factor and, you know, his circle his posse of people going you know what john john you know do piahi do the eddie you don't need to do mavericks and you're good um so if that's the case then you're looking at more wild cards right uh i would love to see him do mavericks personally i I would too yeah and kelly did it and um i was out there the one time kelly would i i want to say i don't know if kelly's won mavericks i know i don't think he has the one year he maybe did it flea one for the third consecutive year and it was pretty incredible, but it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty neat to see Kelly step up and absolutely, you know, I don't want to say dominate, but surfed as good as any of the Mavericks regulars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I'm sure, what John John would do. Yeah, you get that feeling from John John. From the little we've seen him surf big waves, he seems comfortable. completely comfortable and natural at it. Were you watching that event in the channel on a boat? Yeah. Or, yeah, how I was, was on, that? I was on that big Hooli boat, that big... I don't know what it's called, the Hooli Cat or something like that. I don't know, but how was it? It was neat. It was exciting. You know, I was working for Surfer Magazine at the time in an editorial capacity for their, um, you know, I was the editorial director for their online stuff. So it I was just, killer. It was fun. I've never hanging out with Bill Sharp all day. I've never been to a big wave spot uh, like that. Yeah. And I'm just curious how gnarly it really is, you know, like compared to when your local spot gets massive and like, you you know it might be comparable in terms of number of feet, but how much gnarlier is Mavericks? Even if it's you know twenty feet, and you've seen certain other spots twenty feet, how much gnarlier? Well, is a couple Mavericks? things. First of all, it's very much gnarlier. <laughs> it's it's incredible. Yeah. But what like happens exponentially? Gnarlier. Yeah, exponent. Thank you, exponentially. Gnarlier. What happens when you're out there? Those you know the first hour you're blown away, and then like any other spot that you know you're sitting and watching, you get sort of um, you know there's a certain sense of like malaise that you just kind of get used to it. Yeah. You're like, Oh yeah, there's another 25 footer, you know, and it's, right. and it's horrendous and breaking bones and it's, it's magnificent. But you know, after hour four, you're like, yeah, there goes another one. You know, yeah. you, you get sort of used to it. Right. Until you paddle out. But well, I was, <laughs> and then on top of that, nothing compares to actually being out there. And I've never done that. Yeah. But I know from a fact, for a fact, just from surfing Totos and stuff that, that it's very hard to, to, um, Take the experience and be able to convey it oh, to yeah. an audience that doesn't isn't an enthusiast and isn't a real participant in the sport. It, right. It's pretty mind blowing how powerful it is. Uh, how big have you surfed Totos? Not super huge, maybe maybe fifteen to twenty. Okay, you know, not not like mega big. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I got a follow up about a couple of shows ago. 
I called CJ Hobgood the kook because he dismounted off a wave and landed on that rock in Portugal. Do you remember that video? He hurt his foot afterwards. That's what that I was, was separate. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But do you remember that video of him hitting the rock? Yes, I do. Yeah, I mean, a really traumatic wipeout. Like, basically, Felipe Toledo was out in the water, and he was telling CJ to try an air. So on the next wave, CJ got this wave, did an air, and landed, and then claimed it looking back at Felipe without looking forward at the rock that was, uh, you know, <laughs> sticking out of the water five feet. So he actually hit that rock, and we joked about it and laughed about it, and that was all that was said. Well, it turns out ASP did an injury update on him because a couple days afterwards, he sliced his foot open pretty badly and had to miss the rest of the event. In that injury update, they talked about him hitting the rock in addition to the foot slice. Turns out he got a concussion. He had headaches for five days after that. Wow. Like pretty significant headaches to where he was really concerned about missing the event due to the headaches. But what ended up happening was he went out for a free surf on the day of the event prior to his heat and um, was pulling into a closeout barrel, jumped off his board in kind of the um, the tumult of that, the fin of his board, sliced his foot open, forcing him to withdraw from the event and actually forcing him to withdraw from the Holly Eva event. And he says that he's still in it for sunset and pipe. You know, will remain. it'll remain to be seen if he's actually recovered in time. Uh, but the recovery is due to his foot injury more than it is the concussion. But I thought it was worth noting that he did sustain a concussion from that rock. Wow, know, that up. is interesting. Yeah, that's where did you dig that up? ASP uh, World ASPWorldTour.com basically did an injury update that they hmm. they posted. And then um, for the record, he's actually ranked 23rd on the CT, which is just out of qualification. He'll need to do well at pipe to requalify, and he's not even in the top 50 of the QS. So he's strictly relying on his CT ranking. Yeah, isn't he 23rd? 23rd, so yeah. one spot out. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sure that's what you said. I was looking something else no, up No, that's here. cool. What were you looking at? Uh, Tom Curran, because, um, well, uh, if it's okay, let's just break. I do have a whole segment on qualification for 2015, which I think is really I've got important. all that, too. Let's... Follow that. I mean, do that with the Triple Crown. If you want to talk Tom Curran first. Talk well, Tom Curran. one of the, it's interesting. Um, all these things sort of segue. So I'll just say, look, I wanted to start with the Reef Hawaiian Pro yeah. and then follow that with qualification stuff. Yeah, whatever and you want, go for it. I got it. So obviously Dusty Payne, incredible performance. The entire uh, webcast was really entertaining. Um, I thought they did a great job. And and it was just a great contest from gnarly, unruly first day action to Ola's 10 to just there seemed to be a lot of waves ridden and it seemed to be nonstop action. And it's, this is what we wait for all year. Everybody talks about Hawaii and throughout the year compares other things to Hawaii. We're in Hawaii now. And if you did not watch this event, you blew it. Like yeah. this is what it all comes down to. And it delivered. It over delivered. It over delivered. Like. The surfing from the early rounds was on par with CT surfing. The waves were better than most CT events that we saw this year. It was just like a phenomenal event from beginning to end. And guys surfing incredibly well whose names you don't know and we might not ever even see again. Guys from Portugal and like all over the world, you know, Brazil, um, Standout surfers for the event. You mentioned Dusty. It was phenomenal to see Dusty back in form. Dusty's, you know, produced some of the most prolific uh, free surf segments that we've seen in surf videos. 
but he's been injured a lot. And really he was on CT, but got kicked off because of an injury. Um, he just, it was great to see him back in form. It was great to see Julian Wilson back in form, battling it out in the final. I loved Connor Coffin, Zeke Lau, Poncho Sullivan, Tori Meister. Carry on. Well, all of those guys. And you know, the thing about Dusty is that, you know, if you didn't do a double take, you would think that, you know, it was Julian or Josh Kerr without the flicky style or um, he just looked so, he just looked right. Like oh, Dusty yeah. Payne looked like he was a fifth, like a fifth seat on the CT. He, yeah. he looked so CT worthy. Right. And so fast and so when, powerful. And he had, he had it all and he looked comfortable doing it. He sort of, it was like a combination of Julian and Seabass and, um, you know, he he just looked great. And I had written Dusty Payne off after his injury, and it's really neat to see a guy. What what I really sensed about Dusty Payne was here's a guy who was injured off the tour, really had to rehab, really had to work hard, and he's actually making something of his second chance. Right. You know, he, he's like, oh, no, this is it. And you really get the sense that he's, um, he's not going to let his second chance go by the wayside. He's going to make the most of it. He's going to work hard. He obviously has. I would argue this is a third chance because there you go. he came back from his injury prematurely. I don't know if you remember at Lowers, I think it was a year ago, and re-injured his knee, which put him out for a whole nother year. And the doctor said, don't go back and do that Lowers event. And he's like, no, I really want to. I think I'm ready. And, you know, he made the wrong decision. So, and I would argue this wasn't even a third chance for him. This was not even a... He wasn't even supposed to like... He was a round one surfer. Yeah. So he jumped from... He jumped basically 72 spots in the QS rankings. That's how low he was on the QS. He's not even in contention to requalify or he wasn't prior to this. Yeah. So he was just doing it because he's Hawaiian and he's in Hawaii and he's feeling good. It wasn't a bid to get on the CT. Well, there's a there's a video clip that just came out where he and Julian went somewhere probably to Indo or something and yeah. they're just boosting airs and they're just looking so comfortable and they're just ripping in this free surfing segment. I think you maybe even featured it as one of your must-see moments. I don't know. But we talked about it. It was Swamp Duck is the yeah, name of it. Yeah, exactly. Swamp Duck. I put it on my website. It's insane. And he transferred that type of surfing to, um, to a com- competitive situation with a jersey on and... Um, you know, just to go back to the Reef Hawaiian Pro in general, those guys put on an incredible aerial performance out there, and um, and Dusty was one of them. But you you can't you got to talk about Julian Wilson here. Um, the final was got to be upsetting for Julian. I had him winning the thing. I mean, I had, of course, we all had him winning about 15 minutes in, but I didn't think there was any uh, there was any chance for anybody to come back. He had Dusty comboed with yeah all of them left. yeah. With a couple of nines, basically. And then Dusty got two waves in a minute and a half and comboed the rest of the field at that point. Like, yeah. got a high nine and then another high nine yeah. within a minute and a half. And the second one was right in front of Julian paddling out. Uh, it was incredible. It was the best final I've seen in a long... I mean, maybe since Pipe last year, you know? Just really incredible surfing. A couple of other uh, World Tour standouts. Rayoni Montiero, who hasn't won a heat all year, looked phenomenal i don't know where he came from that's just standard rayoni you know like it he, is he, you see him like you know occasionally once a year all of a sudden you're like god that guy's kind of ripping I know. he won the <laughs> sunset event a few like in 2010 looking like that and then maybe put in one performance since then the bells event that he beat parko 
Or it's like if Kelly? his back's to the wall, he'll give you that performance. Right. But if he's just rolling through another season on the CT, it's like, okay, another 33rd. Exactly. Another guy who does that and who was requalified via the Triple Crown previously is Adam Melling, who was in the final. Adam Melling looks so sharp and so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of guys look really, really tight. But Melling was the, one of them. Melling, those are the CT guys who like have been nowhere all year long and then just showed up. And then, of course, Brett Simpson, who I have to mention because we're hometown buddies. Um, and Sippo <laughs> requalified based on this result, basically. Yeah. And, and and he served great. And it was just an incredible event. I mean, it seemed like every heat was packed with action, was packed with um, moments, you know, buzzer beater moments at the end of the heat. Yep. Um, every heat. You know, what I was going to say about Dusty and sort of like his third chance, and it seems as if he's taking advantage of it. And maybe I'm assuming a lot here because you're kind of saying, yeah, he's just there anyway. He was just surfing. It's not like he's going at it. In fact, I think he said as much as he just yeah. wants to be able to qualify to surf in the primes next right. year. Right. He's looking at 2016. Now, all of a sudden, we've got an incredible story playing out for mm-hmm. us in front of us with, with him, with Dusty Payne. There's guys that have been given a second chance. And maybe it was a little too late in their career. And maybe in the early parts of their career, they partied it off. And, and, right. and like, um, as, you know, I want to say Taj. I know I know Taj has had an incredible career, but you get the sense that he should have been a world champion and yeah. he wasn't. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I still have a chance. And Mick Fanning and Parco and Slater got in his way here the last four or five years or whatever right. it's been. And then you think of guys like Aki and... Sonny Garcia, who both had a second chance at a world title. Slater was off tour on hiatus, and they took advantage of that, and they both got their world championships. Um, then you look at a guy like Nathan Hedgehog, you're like, oh, he's 35. He's got, you know, he's got his life rearranged. He's focused on the right things. He's you know healthy. He's psyched. Look at him go. He's ripping. Probably a little too little, a little too late for Hedge. For sure it is. And so it's neat to see a guy like Dusty, who I'm guessing is probably around 26, 28 years old, plenty of time still left and for him to, you just get the sense that he's focused, that he, that those two times off tour where he was hurt, he had a lot of time to think about it. Multiple years. And so he's like, you know what? It's on. I fully agree. And th- you, you brought up a couple of points that um, I'd like to kind of pick apart This event for me exemplifies the necessity of being well-rounded. On the first day, the swell was pretty much maxing out. They're riding seven sixes, um, paddling in torrential currents. You know what I mean? Like insane, as Hawaiian as it gets. And then towards the end of the event, they're riding short boards, and there's a necessity to stomp huge airs if you want to compete with the best guys. Did you see McFanning do an aerial, by the way? I did see McFanning do an aerial. Did he? Yeah, in the semi or in the quarters. Did he land it? Yeah, it was it was just a you know. Oh, okay. It wasn't anything special. It was right. like one you or I would have right, done. Right, right, right. So you know that that um, necessity of being well rounded, I think, was exemplified in this event. And guys like Nathan Hedge, as much as we root for him, it's too little, too late because he's not well rounded anymore. Back in the day, you could rely on that backhand attack to get you through most events. But now it's like, dude, yeah, that that'll that'll get you through a couple rounds when the waves are big. But look at the airs that Dusty and Julian did. They were on par with anything Felipe did in Brazil at a one-foot beach break, yet it was head-high Holly Eva. I mean, that's insane, you know? The one, I mean, talk about, you know, the aerial that wasn't made is the aerial that everyone's talking about. It was just incredible. The Julian Wilson. Yeah. full frontside air reverse 
for so rotation high. air was unbelievable. It was so high in the air, and from, it, he he landed it. He just caught his rail coming into the little bowl there at the end. Yeah. I mean, he had almost was almost ready to claim it. That's how much. You know, how far along in the landing process he had gotten, you know. It was a 95 percenter, dude. It like, was. He 5% more would have stuck it. Many of us were like, ah, just give it to him. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. But I felt, what I loved about that air too, is that he had uh, telegraphed it and had so much speed. So you know, you just, he has to go for it. It's like everything's hinging on this and you're waiting for it, waiting. And then he actually did it with a greater kind of height and loft than you even expected with all that speed. Well, the, because he telegraphed it, you really get better do something special because That's you've what, already yeah. telegraphed it. You know, and Peter Mel made mention of that in the commentating. He's like, we all knew it was going to happen. And he did more than we had expected, right. you know, from him. There, Which so. is shocking. Yeah. How do you over deliver on what we're already expecting yeah. is going to be amazing, you know? And he sort of had to. Another thing about Hedgie is... He is on the bubble to requalify, and everybody's rooting for him. And Red Bull's doing a series that's partially dedicated to him called Qualifying. And in his uh, heat, I didn't write down which heat it was. I think it was in round three. He needed a 7.21, and he exited the water with two and a half minutes to go. He he had completed <laughs> Pulled a, a Gabby. He completed a wave and he ended up getting a six two on it. And I don't know if he thought that wave would have been enough, but regardless, it was a questionable score and he shouldn't have come in. He exited the water needing a seven point two one. So you look at that lapse in judgment on his behalf and you go, dude, it's the end of the season. You're on the bubble. This is, like you put it, your third chance or second chance. What are you doing? That's a horrible lapse in judgment. You're not going to get many more of these chances. And secondly, this is not what it takes to be a champ or to even be on tour. You need to grind it out. You're never going to have decisions go your way. You need to pound the door down to get back on tour. And if you're not pounding the door down, then why should I root for you? Because there's a hundred other guys who are begging to be let in. So you lost a little hedgy mojo there because of that. For and I don't sure blame I you. Did. For sure I did. Okay, here's the classic guy. You know, we're talking about Dusty coming back from injury. He's um, round one all the way to champion. Well, the reason I was looking up Tom Curran, in 1990, Tom Curran did that the entire year. He had to surf the trials in every single event just to get into the main event. That year, 1990, he surfed the trials and became the world champion. Unbelievable. So just think about Dusty times 12. That's what Tom Curran did. Crazy. Isn't that cool? Was he? Was that the first title he won? No, it was his last one. So why? He won 85, he... 86, and then he did 90. Oh, so he took a few years off, and that's why he had to surf yeah, the... Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's a story that doesn't get told much. For whatever reason, that time period is sort of that period where... There wasn't a lot of media going on. You know, I think Alan Gibby has a movie out called From Trials to Champion or something, and it's on VHS or whatever. Mm. You know, it's hard to come by. Yeah. But totally. um, it's an interesting story and one that's not told very often. Well, the requalification story is something that we definitely should devote a little bit of time to. Let me just say this about that. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm going to start off the segment, if I can, regarding qualification for the WCT in 2015. Um, I think it's of utmost importance for the ASP production people for the narrative of the Vans World Cup to be all about 
the qualification process and each and every surfer. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir and I know I'm also stating the obvious. Of course, they need to do that. But I think they need to up their game. I think before each heat, we need to know where each of those four guys stands as we see these heats at Sunset Beach unfold, if it's relevant to the conversation. But I think, and I sent um, I sent my friend uh, Jeff Doner a, a Facebook message basically saying, hey, wouldn't it be neat if you guys up your graphics package a little bit so we had more to look at, more to decipher, more to excavate, more to digest regarding the qualification process. That narrative needs to drive the entire webcast. Of course, notwithstanding the actual competition and the waves at Sense of Beach that are unfolding before our eyes. But, you know, behind that and on top of that and sort of dressing that needs to be all of these stories that are of a great importance to you and I as surf fans and to the ASP, as far as, you know, if somebody comes out of the woodwork, certainly you're going to want to tell that story going into Australia in the beginning of the year. So uh, with that, I'll let you take it. From well, there. I will uh, play devil's advocate and say that the ASP certainly has They've done a been better job. I agree. Stories. I'm just saying I want them to but, up the right, game. Right. I know they have. I've seen the great stuff Ross Williams put out. Yeah, yeah. I know Al Hunt's always there. What I sent to, to Jeff was I go, you know what I would love to see? As much like President Obama, I want the ASP to hire a qualification czar. A guy whose sole job, and it's probably going to be Al Hunt, he's the obvious choice, whoever it is, his sole job from today through the end of the Pipeline Masters is to feed the commentators and the production staff as much insight, as much um, backstory about each one of these guys. Like, build up, you know, don't just tell us that, oh yeah, this guy's on the bubble if he gets through the CD advances. I want to know how he feels about it. I want to see how he's done the whole year, where how he got to where he's at. Like, give us something to chew on besides just... And a lot of times it's after the heat. You know, they go, oh, by the way, we just found out Dave Stanfield passed me a note. They, uh, this guy's going to qualify now. After, right. You know, and it's like, how about you could have, you know how much more interest I would have in that heat if you would have told me before this? Yeah. So that's what I'm just saying is that they do a good job now. What I'm asking is that they just kind of like ramp up their editorial content package regarding the qualification process. I mean, this event especially right. is crucial for I that. would love it if they made Stansfield that guy took him out of the freaking booth and made him the stats guy behind the scenes who they tossed to to chime in maybe for a minute or two in each heat. That's a great idea. Maybe he is the czar. Yeah. You know, and under him, he has a staff who is out hunting, who's crunching numbers. Because I don't need him in the booth every other heat. So you've got him split screen with some graphics packages that tell you about what's going on, what needs to happen. Right. That's going to feed into the commentary. They're going to do a better job of understanding what's going on. And then you and I are going to be going, oh, guess what? This guy we maybe not really would have cared about is in a heat in two, in twenty minutes, right. and I and I want to watch it because, for instance, um, like Seabass, Seabass is Sebastian Zietz is twenty second on the CT. He has no QS ratings at all. Right. He didn't do crap. So for Pipeline, he's going to need a big showing. So we you know there's plenty of these backstories oh, yeah. that we can tell here. Well, that's, Jeremy Flores, go ahead. I know you've done a lot of this excavation. Well, no, that's what's worth noting is that in previous years or different years, but certainly last uh, season, the QS, there was a one world ranking system. So maybe you didn't do the QS events or you only did some of the QS events, but you were on the world tour and they would accumulate both those points together to help for your requalification. This year, they went to an old system where both tours are separated. So 
you know, Seabass being in 22nd, he will qualify in 22nd position. But if he drops to 23rd and he has no, he hasn't requalified on the QS Tour on its own, he will get kicked off the CT and replaced by the top 10 surfers who are on the QS event. And now on the QS side, you have surfers like Brett Simpson. Brett Simpson was on the CT this year and he might not qualify, but throughout the year he's been doing QS events and he was able to garner enough points on the QS, especially based on this Reef Hawaiian Pro event, to have qualified in the top 10 of the QS. So even though he won't requalify on the CT, he will requalify or he will qualify on the QS. All that being said, I talked about Nathan Hedge. He needs to place fifth at sunset in order to accumulate enough points on the QS to qualify for the CT. That's where he's at. Um, currently, the top 10 of the QS is first place, Matt Banting, which... I don't course, see Carlos Munoz of anywhere course, on here. Of course, we're going to take a pause for Matt Banting. When you started this segment and we're like, okay, pause. I need to devote the beginning of this segment to something really important. I thought you were going to say patting David Scales on the back for calling out Matt Banning two years ago as being the next CT. Look, we all knew Matt Banning was going to be great. No, you didn't. I'm going to play a drop from our first episode together where I'm sitting here praising Matt, who? Matt Banning and you're <laughs> Matt like, Matt Wilkinson? What? I've never heard of that dude. He sucks. There's a million other guys out there who can do air reverses. I can, I'm going to dig up that drop, dude, and I'm going to play it for you. You can't see this, but I'm turning red with embarrassment because I think David has got me pinned against the wall here. That's true. Tell me your thoughts on Matt Banning. I'd be, I'm stoked when I look at all 10 of these guys, Matt Banning, incredible serve. You know, obviously when you get to this level, these guys are all great. I want to see these guys again, to me, it's about the top 10 on the CT. That's who I think is fascinating because well, look, that's not what this conversation's about. We're okay, talking Matt about Banning, congratulations. Let's see how you do. The same way I feel about all of these new rookies that are going to be on tour. Okay. Look, good job. Let's see how you do. Guess what? When you get, you know, um, Nat Young and Kelly Slater in your heat in round one of okay. Snapper well, Rocks, let's I'm, see I'm how you do. I'm glad you, you chose Nat Young as an example because on his rookie year, he smashed guys. Well, I just grabbed that. I, I'm it's just a saying perfect example to make my point. Well, yeah, me. it is. And, and maybe um, Matt will. And I, that'll be fun to watch, you know? Um, I, I think he will. He sat out the reef Hawaiian pro because he actually had a really severe cold, but hopefully we'll see him back for the rest of the Hawaii season. Second place is the surfer with my favorite name in the world. Wiggly Dantas. Uh, third place, Adam Melling. Fourth place, kind of an unusual name or an unusual guy. We haven't seen that much of is Idolo Ferrar, which is a Brazilian goofy footer, does amazing airs. Uh, Another one of those. Fifth, fifth. I mean, how many really, are there? He kind Philippe, of is one of those. Italo, Gabby, Jadson, Jadson. Idolo is more along the Jadson side, uh, in my estimation, from what I've seen of him. He's incredible. He's better than Jadson in a lot of ways, but. I'm wondering if he will go the way of Jadson. Idolo. So we got four guys that we could basically mix and match, and they're the same dude. Yeah, Sippo is uh, number six. Keanu Asing, I think, will be an interesting addition to the tour. That is interesting. But he could get bumped down based on his number of points. Thomas Hermes is a Brazilian regular footer that is pretty incredible. Short, stocky guy, not unlike Keanu Asing, actually, uh, but a great surfer. Matt Wilkinson is in ninth. And then Jack Freestone is in 10th, which is an interesting guy. Jack's come a long way, 
He was a junior world champ at one point. He's an incredible surfer. Worth noting, he's dating Alana Blanchard. Um, that could be his downfall. Could be. But, I mean, really, he's come a long way in that he had a lot, showcased a lot of power at Haleiwa. Um, incredible surfer. Of so. these 10, so these are the 10 that are going to replace the bottom 10 that are on the tour, the CT now. Of these 10, we still have another CT event at Sunset Beach. Um, no, a QS event. A QS, excuse me, I'm sorry. A QS event, a qualifying event at Sunset Beach. How much will this 10 get shaken up? I mean, we know Matt Banning is qualified, Basically. Right? But some of these others, I mean, there's 10 or 15 guys below these guys that could all move into these positions yeah. except for what, Matt's? Matt Banning's spot. No, not really. It's Somebody gave the it bottom four. Bottom four. Okay. The that's bottom what... four of this list I just said, which is Keanu, Thomas Hermes, they Matt could Wilkinson, get replaced. And Jack Freestone. They're still kind of on the bubble where if they don't make a couple heats and then some of the guys right below them, if they make quarters, you know, and do really well, they can get bumped off. Like so Dusty it, it, Payne it is twenty fourth. So Dusty needs basically to make like he the needs final a semis, series. a yeah. semis at Sunset Beach, and he could be replacing. Yeah. Thomas Hermes or Keanu Asing or one of these guys. And that's the thing. Keanu Asing has a couple, like they take the, your top five results on the QS. Those go into your scoreline. And Keanu has some low points, res, low point results in his bottom, in his top five. So hanging on to those low scores can hurt you. If he doesn't replace them with better scores, he's, uh, you know, a target for somebody like Ricardo Christie, who is right outside the bubble. But or if Timmy Reyes, speaking Timmy of second Reyes. chances. If Timmy Reyes does a quarterfinal or Ricardo Christie, and that could better Keanu's spot. And there's guys like Joanne Daru who are right there, yeah. right? And Jesse Mendez and Charlie yeah. Martin. Who is Charlie Martin, isn't he, you know? Charlie, I don't need to see on the CT. I, I mean, talk about guys who, I want to see guys contribute to the CT. And I think Matt Banning could contribute. There's a number of other guys that, yeah, they could qualify. Like I said, Nathan Hedge, he could qualify. I feel that way about a few of these guys too. Name them. Simpo. Oh, really? I, I feel like Simpo's done his best work. Yeah. You know? He's won back-to-back home field H, you know, U.S. Opens. Right. He's been given plenty of opportunities. He, I don't think he's gotten out of one round two heat this year. He, he beat Gabriel in Portugal, uh, which was, a, you know – bettered that and then in Timmy Reyes do I really need to see Timmy Reyes again I mean he was out there I gave him good you know God bless him I'm not anti these people I know they're great surfers yeah I'm just saying I think that there's some exciting young bloods out I'd much rather see Connor Coffin oh I'd love to see Connor who on that list of the top 10 on the QS do you think could contribute to the CT well I'm not as well versed on the way these guys surf as you are but you know Matt Banning Wiggly Dauntus has been around for a long time. Um, I know Adam Melling can contribute. I've seen if him. If he fires on all cylinders. He he was, he's been insane. He, didn't he do really well at Bells a couple of years ago? I think he yeah. made the finals or won it or something. He or, made the finals at J-Bay with Jordy one year. And he's also done well at Bells. Maybe the quarter. Anyway, okay. Melling is an exciting surfer. Melling's in that Seabass, Julian, Dusty Payne, really good style, regular foot, tons of speed, and has the air game. My criticism of Melling, and I love Melling, is how similar he surfs to Mick Fanning. He's a he's a slightly less version of Mick Fanning. But he's got I mean? the air game that Mick doesn't have. He's very fast. Rarely though, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like he, he was really, busting some airs. I don't know. He did a couple. It's just like, and I I love Melling, and I'm glad to see him do well. I'm just saying, like, yeah, if you're gonna be a mini Mick Fanning. 
you got to be better than Mick Fanning. <laughs> you be- <laughs> You'd rather people say Fanning's a mini Melling. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's an interesting point because there's a few guys that are like that, right? I mean, yeah. you look at the the four or five goofy foot Brazilians, and yeah, exactly. they're all mini Gabe's. Right. Although some of them, Philippe. This is his own man, you know? Yeah, he is, for sure. I, I don't need to see Jeremy Flores anymore on yeah, tour. I'm kind of over it. I'd love to see him at Tahiti when he posts two tens and it gets a perfect heat. He already and does did well that. at Pipeline, but that's yeah, all we well, like to see, you know? I mean, he won pipe when it was down at Aikai, right? Or it was down at Off the Wall. It wasn't even at pipe. No, he won proper pipe. Oh, uh, did he? And he made the final. That was oh. B. Derbich that oh, okay. won that year. And he made the final against Kieran Perot at pipe when it was, like, solid. Uh, Travis Logie announced that he's retiring, which I'm sure you're okay with. I kind of am. The thing I like about Travis Logie is he's kind of a, um, spoiler. Yeah. He kills people. He'll go out and kill. Like you don't want to go up against him if your world title chances are on the line. Right. And, and he's a great surfer. I mean, they're all great surfers. We we keep saying that, but, um, well, along those lines of spoiler last week, I did an interview with Peter King talking about his tour notes series. Yeah. And he was talking about, look, Julian now he's going to requalify, of course, based on this result at the Reef Hawaiian Pro, but he was kind of on the bubble for not requalifying. And what that'll do is pit him against the top seeds next year. Oh, good. So you're going to see Julian play spoiler to guys good. like Kelly and Mick, you know, where those guys normally have a bye against maybe wild cards and other uh, low seeded surfers. I sense great things for Julian Wilson. I'll That's go what out. Peter was saying. I'll, I'll tell you this. I think Julian Wilson will be in the world title hunt this time next year. Mm-hmm. If barring injury, he, I think he gets underscored and I think he gets, he got a raw deal this year. I don't know how many events that just seemed like he should have gotten through and something miraculous happened for the other surfer at the end, or I, he didn't live up to his ability this year. And, and a lot of it wasn't his fault. Yeah. He's an incredible surfer. Everybody knows that he should be a top five surfer. Yeah. I mean, I will point out at this Holly Eve event, what I love most about Julian is the bottom turn and the transitions between maneuvers. He does incredible maneuvers, of course, but when you watch the kid bottom turning, it's like there's never a hiccup or a step. Like even if there's a step in the wave and a chop, he drives through it with just so much power and he loads up so low against his board. He'll come out of a crazy maneuver with his feet kind of out of position. Normally you'll see somebody shuffle, do a check off the bottom and then drive into a maneuver. He just comes out of that with his feet in a weird position, loads up low against his board, straight into a bottom turn and just boom, like blows into the next turn. It sort of brings up the the conversation or the discussion about the final. You know, uh, Dusty Payne had a wave where he did three or four incredible fin fins out gaff hooks in the in the wave. And got 9-7 and 9-0 or 9-6, whatever he got. Earlier in the heat, the beginning of the heat, Julian did one big gaff and then a big aerial and got like a 9-0-7 or something. And it almost, it put the judges in a weird place. And I guess my question to you is, do those four big gaffs on one wave that Dusty did, are those more than one big gaff and one pretty solid aerial? Like, is the aerial game getting downplayed? I don't think so. I think that the judge, judges scored it correctly, and it depends how gnarly were those gaffs that Dusty was they doing. They were insane. They were insane. Versus how gnarly were the airs that Julian was doing. And I think that the judges got but it right. But aren't aerials way harder to, to do uh, than Not really. I gaff. mean, yes. I mean, yes and no. Like, if you 
have a soft section that's coming at you and you could just pop off the lip and land in a soft set on a soft landing pad. Yeah, I guess it's relative. Versus to- where ju- Dusty was approaching, which is like bottom turning and he's going straight into this like bowling section and getting, you know, a six foot five board on the rail and burying half the rail. Those things, the ra- the rail turn was harder than the soft air, you know? So it really just depends on degree of difficulty with each maneuver. Although what was great about that event or that final and that exchange was Julian had a subsequent wave where he did a massive tail blow, then like banked off a section and then did a massive alley-oop that he landed, but just kind of on the back of the wave and didn't get back into the wave. That would have arguably been the score. So it was like Julian got his two scores. Dusty came back, got his two scores. Now Julian had a way, a chance to turn the heat again and he was all do he was doing it yeah. and then on this huge alley oop yeah. didn't quite ride into the alley oop but it's like if he had done it they probably would have given the score again so i loved it you know both guys surfed incredibly did um, you see that um adriano de souza has a knee injury he's out at pipe as well as taj burrow those two surfers out at pipe and cj questionable i think yeah, no, CJ said he's going to be in for it. Those guys already withdrew, so they're officially out. I think um, it's the first time that they've missed the pipe event in like nine years each. I think Taj may be longer than that. But really, yeah, interesting stuff. They're both going to requalify, so they're not in danger of that. But that opens the opportunity for some lower seed guys. I think Glenn Hall gets the call up for one of them. <laughs> and that, that poor guy. Glenn Hall got the injury, bumped him out last year, and he's yeah. got to surf a couple events this year. So talk about a second and third chance. Um, but that'll be interesting to see. Pipeline starts on December 8th, which is going to be cool. And then Sunset event starts November 24th. Here's the thing about Sunset and Pipeline when you talk about them in regards to competition. Everyone talks about a Pipeline specialist. Well, I would argue that you need to be more of a specialist at Sunset Beach. If you watch this final, and by the way, there's a lot of CT guys surfing in the QS this year. So you've got a lot of major players. How many of those guys are going to be in the Sunset Beach final? I I would I would tell you that none of them are. I mean I could see, you know, Billy Kemper, Mason Ho, Poncho Sullivan, Miles Padaka, you know, Danny Fuller. I mean a million guys that will be in that Sunset Beach final that will decimate the C T guys. And so you hear all this talk about, oh, pipe specialists, let us in because we're pipeline specialists. Pipe, probably not that hard to surf if all you got to do is go over the ledge. Like it's not like, you know, shifting peaks and you got to know the arena. These guys are good enough that, hey, yeah, it's eight foot and it's a ledging tube. I just got to take off, pull in and come out. I'm obviously making it sound simpler than it is. But relative to Sunset Beach. Right. I think it's an easier way. I think pipe, you don't have to be as much of a specialist. And I think that proves will prove itself out. And it has in the past when you see these CT guys at the Sunset, the Vans World Cup at Sunset Beach. I think you'll see a Hawaiian specialist dominate that situation, much as you saw Hawaiian specialists dominate um, Haleiwa. I fully agree. And it leads us to the conversation about the pipe trials in which they're introducing, the ASP is introducing a new format this year. Did you study up or see that? I do know a lot about it. It's been, uh, there's been a lot of- It's controversial. Controversy regarding how it plays out. Basically, they've got 16 guys in a trials event. set Set the conversation for why it's controversial is that generally there's two wild, two wild cards led into an event. 
And in the past with the pipeline trials, people, the Hawaiians basically get pissed that not more surfers are let in because it's the pinnacle of surfing and they surf it all year long and, you know, all this stuff. And then the counterpart to that argument is like, it doesn't matter what you guys do all year long. This is the ASP. We have rules that apply across the world, including equally territorial places like Chopu that we're not going to make any uh, accommodations for you. Well, this year they're trying to accommodate uh, the pipeline specialist basically and the locals by introducing this new format. What's the format? Well, and I, I, I don't want to stumble over the format you know, generalities, but I believe it's 16 guys, 32, 32 Hawaiian guys in this trials. Um, what do they take four out of those? The, the two out of only the top two go to the main pipeline event. It's still going to be the top two. So the same number of wild cards in the main event, but they're allowing 32 surfers to compete in the trials event. And they all get paid. And it's every four. single one of them cashes a check. And it's a hundred thousand dollar prize purse. So it's a huge amount of money to split between 32 guys. I think the winner gets 50. Yeah. So basically they're saying, hey, we're only going to let two of you in, but you're all going to make a good payday by either making it or not making it. You're going to get paid really well. It's a it's a money consolation prize, basically. Well, it's an interesting thing, and it has caused a lot of controversy, and it really goes back. I mean, some could... Some could tether this controversy way back to the early days of the IPS and and even beyond that to, you know, some of the more hardcore conservatives um, in the surf world would say it's tied to the imperialistic um, tendencies of of North America, USA and coming over and and taking Hawaii from the Hawaiians. Right. And um, there are those that, you know, will put their flag in the ground on that and say, hey, we're sick of it. You've been taking advantage of us and they've been playing that that narrative out for a long time. Yeah. And uh, at some point, you know, you've got to let bygones be bygones. You just can't have reparations forever. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you just can't bring the world tennis tour to, to your local tennis place and expect, you know, 32 really good tennis pros to be invited and get to play in it. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious. I don't really know what my opinion on it is, um, but I'm curious what Hawaii, like the local contingent, these guys who are being led into this event, I'm wondering what their stance on it is. Because if their stance is, well, that's still not good enough. You know, we deserve to have 16 surfers in this event, which I think they had last year. They had eight surfers yeah, or they something. Get, yeah, they had eight or 16, something like that. It's like, okay, now you're being unreasonable. When we allowed 16 surfers in, you weren't happy when we then decided that we would pay you for your time and you're using your space. You're still not happy. You know what I mean? It's like, well, now I don't know what else we can do to appease you guys, you know, and you guys is generalizing. And I don't think that there is one consensus opinion that comes out of the North shore, but I, I don't know what else the ASP can do at this point. It's all really quite fascinating, isn't it? Because, you know, behind it all is I think, I believe that there's probably a bunch of guys that are stoked to be in the trials and to cash a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And those same guys probably don't want to pipe up and say, Hey, I'm pretty stoked. Right. Because they don't want to piss off others that maybe are trying to defend, um, you know, the local communities need to have more presence in the main event. Right. So I, I get the feeling that everyone's probably silently stoked yeah. that they're cashing a check, that they get a chance to be, in the main event, all they got to do is go prove themselves like 
they've been asking to do. But again, I think that they're silently stoked. I think that they don't want to piss off the um, the main protagonist in this whole deal. Right. Yeah, interesting stuff. I hope that the waves are 10 to 12 feet and pumping through the event. Yeah, I think we all do. That'll be, that'll be cool. I know we're looking forward to it. You know, the interesting thing about the Hawaiian season, it feels like we've already gotten a huge chunk of Hawaii action. I know. It's From really- the HIC, which I watched a lot of at sunset, to the Haleiwa event, which was great, as we mentioned, to in between and on top of that, the Jaws experience. We had two days of Maui oh, paddling yeah. at Jaws with Shane Dorian and Twiggy and all of those guys. You know, it feels like usually this sometimes certain seasons this time of year, we're going, God, I hope a swell shows up, you know, and we're already involved and people are surfing and it's on, you know, and it feels like it's on. And so we've got, you know, another month of, um, of excitement ahead of us. Unrelated to Hawaii and ASP talk, did you hear about this new, um, electromagnetic shark barrier that they're introducing? (laughs) No, this this is not a joke, dude. I believe it. Just not. outside Cape Town, South Africa, they're testing basically an electric shark barrier rather than a shark net. Yeah, the shark nets create problems because marine life gets tangled in it and dies. Oh, an electric but, barriers aren't going to hurt any marine life. No, actually, I'm glad that you asked. The idea is <laughs> they're placing big long cables on the bottom of the seafloor with strings of electrodes uh, rising vertically towards the water's surface. Sharks are abnormally sensitive to electrical currents, especially at the pointy ends of their nose where they have these jelly-filled pores, which help them sense the electrical fields of fish. Uh, When a shark swims into the electrode, it'll give them an electric slap in the face enough to turn them around. Most other fish don't have the same sensitivity to electrical currents that sharks do, so they can brush up against the electrodes with no issues at all. Humans can reach out and grab hold of the electrodes if they want, and only a gentle electric tingle will you'll feel. So it means no nets or um, no nets to harm the sharks, basically, and other marine life that normally get caught up and die in the nets. I'm all for this. I think this is good. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm, Why are you laughing? I just I'm I don't know. <laughs> I just <laughs> I think I, it's a brilliant I do too. I brilliant think it, idea. I think it's good. I, let's implement it around the world. I'm down. Until Anything? the sharks develop some uh evolutionary yeah. adaptation to well, electrical you current. Know, I had a dog that had an electrical fence, right? And had a little collar and every time it went through near the electrical fence it shocked the right. dog. Well, eventually the dog figured it out and just like manned up and just charged bolted through the fence. And, you know, before you know it, three weeks later, it started to like the feeling of getting a little shock. Really? (laughs) So I'm a little skeptical, but I'm stoked that science is moving forward in some some manner to try to protect you and I and the the rest of the marine life as well. I think that you should put that scientific research with you and your dog into a document and send it to these shark sure, researchers sure. so they're well aware that sharks may Submit adapt to the uh, marine life journal so. uh mar- you said the word marine i've got a marine layer segue okay is marine layer dunzo is my question um marine layer of course is dane reynolds personal blog Who? he was doing this uh this mini series that I told you about with him and his filmer mini mini. It was a three part series 
kind of documenting their rise to fame in the surf video world. In part three of that video series, Dane straight out comes and says that he's quitting Marine Layer, basically. Wow. They're not going to produce videos anymore for Marine Layer. What, so, what's that all about? What's behind that? He said, basically, it's the end of an era. He's like that era where surfer surfers blogs, basically, that they curate on their own and make web clips that you spend a day filming and put it up that night. He's like, that era is kind of over. And uh, we were thrilled to be a part of it. But just like, you know, Taylor Steele's era of spending two years to create a two minute video part existed in the 90s. This was something that existed in the 2000s, but he's like, it's kind of run its course and I don't feel a need to do it anymore. Hmm. And so he's like, I'm going to move on to something else. No, he was the sort of the gatekeeper to when eras begin and end. I I think he's just acknowledging it. I don't think that he's... Do you feel that way? I do, that it's over. Yeah, do you feel like the era of watching surf video clips is over? Not the era of watching surf video clips, the era of producing it this morning taking all your waves from one session and then releasing it at night, I think that is over. I think the market's been saturated with two to three minute video clips. I don't have time to see your 20 best waves from this morning. I do have time to watch your 20 best waves of the last year. You know what I mean? So we're going back to the old model. Or, but the old model was in a 45 minute video. You know, maybe the new model is accumulate those clips and put it out for free in a two minute video or something like that. Sure. I'm wondering... If Dane, you know, where I think that his kind of mentality was to be a little bit of a recluse in the last year or so, he hasn't been posting on Marine Layer. It's like, I'll be a little bit of a recluse and only produce clips every once in a while. But if you do that and then your best clips can't compete with what John John did in the last three contests in the last three months, then it kind of negates your relevance. Yeah. I, you would, I would agree that. Somebody maybe got into Dane's head and said, dude, it doesn't take long to be forgotten around yeah. here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not long at all. Right. And oh, by the way, your company's hurting. And they're paying you $4 million a year. And what are you doing? Right. You're not on tour. No one's watching you. No one knows where you're at. You know, and you show up in these little video clips in Ventura. Mm-hmm. Well, it was good for a couple of years, but you're right. It is over. And not because you said so, but because we said so. Right. And when you watch the airs that Felipe did in the Brazil QS event that just ended, which are better than, I mean, lots that we've seen Dane do. And then you watch the power surfing that guys are doing at the Holly Eve event. There's no need for Dane. You know, it's like Dane. I have not missed Dane Reynolds at all. And believe me, I I love watching Dane Reynolds surf. I think he has one of, if not the best style. He's just got that classic California style. I just, I haven't missed it. That's the thing. We want Dane to come and be Dane, but... We haven't missed it when he's not there. So that creates a dilemma for and, him. And it's not going to take me long to go, you know what? Oh, well, you know, like, no, I'm, I'm going to watch Dusty Payne. I'm more excited about Dusty Payne right oh, now. Oh, totally. That, those clips with him and Julian in Swamp Ducks. Yeah. That was pretty top-notch stuff. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, there's a million guys that can not, I'm exaggerating. There's quite a few guys that are red hot that I'll watch and be stoked. I mean, I can watch Craig Anderson, Clay Marzo, Dusty Payne, Julian Wilson, I don't really need Dane Reynolds yeah. to be excited I to agree. go surfing. Now, I'm not saying I don't want to see it. I do, but there's well, plenty of other guys that will fill your shoes. I think you saw it because you reposted it on social media. John John's backside air that he does. That was insane. Attractive Destruction, I think. Or Attractive Distraction is the name of the movie. Um, 
the guys on Maui put this movie out, like Albie Layer and Matt Miola, Kai Barger, all those dudes. Hank Gaskell's got a part, Tori Meister. And they've got some footage of John John Florence, and he does this one backside air just at like the beach park or something. Small, waist high, knee high left. But he does this backside air where his board comes completely detached from his feet. And, and he's, he's upside down. He's upside at down point. and spread out. He looks like like one of those. Um, I don't know what's the who's the green guy. <laughs> Gumby. Yeah, he looks like Gumby. Like or he looks like a Wilbur Kookmeyer toy yeah. or something. He's just completely spread out. It's a flyaway. It looks like a flyaway. It's away. a wipeout. If you take the screenshot, it is clearly a wipeout slash flyaway, where he just hit the end section and kicked his board out. His board is a foot away from his feet. Yeah. And one foot's on the nose. One foot's like dangling by his leg. Yeah. You know, like it's, but he stomps it. He makes it. He stomps it. And he's upside down at that moment that we're talking about. And it it's seems insane. like the, the one that, the, the bit that I put on Facebook, John Pizel had put up. Right. And it, to me, it looked like they were doing the edit and they're like, Pizel's got to see this. And they sent it to Pizel and they're like, don't, you know, you can put this up, but don't put anything else up. It's not true. Oh, it's the out video, there. The video is out, out there. there. Oh, okay. It's available to download. So Pizel was watching it oh, and then just filmed the screen with right, his right, iPhone. Right, right, right. Um, but I mean, it's incre- the whole video is incredible. But that one air alone, it's Dane like, who? Not. Yeah. Insane. Exactly. My point. Um, did you hear about Chris Davidson being busted for yeah. his DUI? Yeah. I want to talk about that for a moment. Chris Davidson is a really great surfer who was on the CT a couple of times. Scott's shaking his head going, really no. great. What the heck? No, I mean, everyone's a really great surfer. Of course. That's why we're talking about <laughs> okay, him. Okay, go ahead. But he basically wrapped his mom's car around a tree in New South Wales, and a resident found him unconscious in the driver's seat. The accident caused serious damage to ligaments in his neck. He still can't move his right arm. This happened on October 1st. And um, eight years ago, he actually got a DUI and had his license banned for 10 years. So that ban isn't even over, which means he was driving unlicensed at the time, which also means he'll likely face prison time for this current uh, incident. This is really sad. Of course, you never want to see people endanger other people's lives, uh, which Davo has done a number of times. Davo's known for partying when he was on tour, and that's why he was never able to maintain sponsorship and maintain his position on tour. Everybody knew he was a great surfer. It's tough to see him struggle with stuff like this. Um, Before I get into my points, what are your thoughts on Davo? Uh, my feeling is he, he probably should do some prison times, probably be the best thing for him. What Davo needs to do is get to a bottom, a place where he's desperate to get help. Sometimes prison does that to a guy. Yeah. I can't tell you what Davo's bottom is going to be. Maybe he has to go kill somebody. I don't know. But until he reaches his bottom, he's not going to get himself help. And yeah. he's the only guy that needs to get himself help. He's not a bad guy. He's a sick guy trying to get better. Right. We hope he's trying to get better. Well, he is. If he's kind of moved back home, living with his mom, apparently driving Driving his car. So so that didn't work. Yeah. So we, you know, Um, I think prison time would probably be a good idea just because I want to see him reach his bottom. If he can reach his bottom before then in some other manner, then let's not send him to jail. But um, my, you know, how many chances do you get? When I was a kid, I remember like 16, I was really just kind of getting into surfing and one of my magazines surfer or surfer came in the mail and I was flipping through it and they were covering the bells event, which had happened, you know, probably two months prior, <laughs> <laughs> but Kelly Slater had been beaten in the event by Chris Davidson. 
And I was just like, and he was 18 years old at the time. And I was like, who's Chris Davidson? That's insane that this no-name guy beat Kelly Slater. That was the first time I saw anything about him. And then a couple years ago, I was at the Lowers event. And um, it was the morning of the final. And I think they were starting that day with the quarterfinal. And the first heat of the day was Andy Irons versus Chris Davidson. And the waves were pumping. It was like all-time lowers. I remember that heat. Yeah. It yeah. was all-time lowers, like slight offshore breeze, well overhead, pumping. And, you know, it's rolling around to 8 o'clock and word on the beach is Davo hasn't shown up yet. He's supposed to surf against Andy. And Andy's out in the water warming up, tearing it up. And ultimately, Davo missed his heat. And he called, I think he called or somebody called him and, oh, he's still at the hotel and he's really sick and he can't make it out of bed. Well, the real story was he had been out partying the night before so much so he couldn't make it to his, you know, and he was on to his 8 a.m. quarterfinal heat against Andy, but he was on kind of the bubble like he always was where it's like, oh, he needs results. Well, dude, you're in the quarters and you're not showing up for your heat, so that's no good. My question and kind of the reason I bring it up is, we see this oftentimes. We saw it with Andy Irons, uh, where there's this kind of erratic behavior. But my question is just, does that erratic behavior lend itself towards prolific surfing? No, you know? no. It doesn't? No, no. Erratic if- behavior, staying out late and getting drunk, does it make you a better surfer? I mean, look at Kelly Slater. Well, I'm not saying that it requires erratic behavior to be a great surfer. I'm just saying the impulse that fueled Van Gogh to cut off his ear and mail it, mail it to a prostitute may be the same impulse that created an inspired starry night. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. You know, I don't know. I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything that can that you can use to condone. No, of course. Condone not. crazy behavior. Like there, there's no rationalization here, you know, like. If you know what's really crazy, not getting drunk. <laughs> like, like if you're that guy, what's really yeah. crazy is not getting drunk. Right. Now you're. If that's your impulse. Yeah. To do it, yeah. Now, now be real. Right. And, yeah. Like that's what's insane. Yeah, yeah. Show me how crazy you are. Just be normal for a day. Yeah. The the amount of strength that it would take to fight the impulse would kind of bolster you and prepare you to meet those challenges in that semi or quarterfinal against Andy Irons. You know. Sounds to me like he could be, um, he could have alcoholism. That's uh, a good possibility. <laughs> In the face of adverse consequence, when you continue drinking, I think that might be the definition. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Kelly Slater's new business arrangement? Um, sure. You know, yeah, it looks like he's going to be using Volcom and electric and sort of, it was an interesting little Instagram, wasn't it? Because here's a photo of him with the Kirin group, this massive corporation that has subsidiaries that include Volcom and electric and all of these brands and, and a lot of high fashion brands and Kelly's basically going to be slapping all those logos on his boards and sort he of didn't say anything. Well, about logos. my point is, is that he went out of his way to say I'm working with Volcom and electric. And so that's the shit he's going to be wearing. Well, we already knew that until the part- outer known brand becomes, yeah. I think they're slowing down. They're like, like let's wait, let's see what. So the news, the news is we all knew that Kelly was going to be partnering with the caring group to help launch outer known. He posted an Instagram recently revealing a little bit more information. And that little bit of more information is that while we're establishing Outer Known, I'm going to be partnering with these other brands as a brand ambassador. Now, what's unique about this is that it's not just one of those brands. Yeah, it's Adidas Puma Golf, right? Adidas Puma or Cobra Puma Golf. Cobra Puma Golf. And then Electric. Electric for sunglasses. Volcom for 
surf clothing. He's going to be helping them develop surf specific clothes was the quote. But then also he said he's going to be partnering with Brioni and Balenciaga and Stella McCartney, which are all luxury uh, couture brands, which I think is revolutionary for surfing. It's like we now have a professional surfer who's basically sponsored by Balenciaga. So when he shows up at the ASP uh, uh, awards ceremony at the end of the year and maybe the surfer poll, is this guy going to be wearing, you know, a ten thousand dollar suit? I think to he that will. Event? You know, the thing about Kelly is it, he's a lot like Laird and and other star athletes that they transcend their sport. Like Kelly has transcended the sport. So he doesn't need the sport. The sport needs him. So Kelly gets asked to, on stage to play with Pearl Jam and he gets asked to go to, you know, the Grand Prix in Mon- Monaco or he's just everywhere, you right. know? And so he'll put on the hat that's appropriate at that spot. And, you know, if he's going to go down and be like, a, you know, show up at a Volcom QS event at Pine Trees in Kauai. He's probably going to wear Volcom stuff, you know, and and he has been throughout this. Year. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just so he has the opportunity now to wear whatever he wants based on what's appropriate at the time. If he he's does, in, if but, he's at the, you know, but, Pebble Beach, he's going to wear the Cobra Puma golf stuff. But this is an official endorsement now. Yeah, no, this it's is great. him it's saying great. I'm officially being yeah. a brand ambassador yeah. to these things, which I think is rad. Well, what's what's interesting is what about outer known? Like, is this up until we yes. get this brand he, developed? He said while establishing outer known was his exact quote. So they had a meeting where they're like, look, you know, we're not going to really have anything for you to wear. We're not going to have any stickers or whatever. We're not. We don't have the package produced yet we're not ready to go to market until we are since we're all part of this and richard wolcott and kelly are very tight right let's just you know these are all our brands let's just embrace all of it and that's sort of what he's come out and said he's going to do it'll be interesting to see what he does do in terms of stickers on his board yeah um or if nothing at all you know maybe i mean you know it's funny because you know you think dusty pain okay like who moves product for volcom uh, this conversation well, again. Well, yeah, why not? Because that's <laughs> what it all comes down sure. to. Who moves product for Volcom? Well, if Kelly Slater puts a sticker on his board, a Volcom sticker, guess who's moving product for Volcom? Kelly. Kelly Slater is. For sure. And I don't know who else rides for Volcom beside, that makes that moves product. Nobody on the CT rides for Volcom. And, and does Alex Gray move product? Mitch Colburn, maybe? No. I don't think so. I don't oh, think my dude, kid goes, let's go get Your Vol- kid doesn't, but in Australia, I'm sure. Oh, maybe in Australia. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm just talking North America. All of the Kai Neville junkies love him, man. I will say this, though, that if Kelly puts a Volcom sticker on his board, I guarantee you my son's going to be like, I love Volcom. I'm so stoked for Kelly. Yeah. Or vice versa. Right. What if he puts a Stella McCartney sticker on his board? Does Stella McCartney make My stickers? son's going to be like, get me some Stella McCartney crap. <laughs> Is that Paul McCartney's sister? I don't know. I thought it was like a bubbled water. Like, wasn't it bubble water, Stella McCartney? I, I have no idea, nor Stella do I care McCartney. or it's will It's probably luggage or facial care. Who, Who knows? Cares? Yeah. Um, you got must-see moments, Dukes. I do. Dukes. My must-see moment is um, there's a clip of Chippa Wilson riding this incredible Greenbush barrel that's just mind-blowingly deep and fast and incredible and the the movie's called loco loco you can find it on the tracks mag website and of course we'll put it on uh surfsplendorpodcast.com and it'll also be on down the line radio.com but loco loco have you seen this clip i saw it it's pretty insane
It's incredible. Pretty mind blowing. Well, Green Bush is gnarly, like so gnarly, anyways. Yes. But that is one of the better Green Bush barrels. It's insane. So I, that's I, my that and Ola's ten point ride at Haleiwa. Oh yeah, those are my two must see moments. I don't know who it was I was talking to about the Globe video that came out recently. Um, why are you shaking your head again? I wish that we had a video on you so that people could see your your kind of mannerisms globe. throughout the show. As soon as I is start globe talking, even is globe yes, even remember Strange Rumblings in Shangri-La, the movie that just came out this year I, that's incredible. I just I don't see a lot of globe around. That's well, all. You're not looking hard enough. Okay, anyways, not. anyways, they did a a solid segment at Greenbush, but the somebody was telling me the day before they shot that segment. Um, Damien Hobgood was meeting up with them. They miscommunicated in their... Where Dude, they, the concussion. Oh, no, that's CJ. No. <laughs> they miscommunicated where they were going to surf that day. So Damo was coming from a, one spot on one boat, and they were going to go surf somewhere. He miscommunicated and ended up going to Greenbush when the camera crew went somewhere else. Yeah. And the word is Damo got the best Greenbush the day by himself and surfed better than anybody's ever surfed Greenbush and like got unbelievable waves. The next day, they all went back there together, and Damo put together, you know, an incredible Greenbush section, better than anybody else in the movie. But it was like a couple feet smaller and not quite as good as the day before. So the footage that doesn't exist of Damo at Greenbush is oh, like, that's, I, been a I know what I see him occasionally where I surf, and I'll ask him about it. That's, yeah. that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I'll try I'd to get curious. some more insight there. My must-see moment is Dusty Payne's section in Lost Atlas, which is five years old at this point but <laughs> what but it's relevant because he just won the reef hawaiian pro sean thompson free ride must see moment dude if you've seen <laughs> dusty Payne and lost atlas you would not be surprised by his performance i've never doubted his ability pro. i'm I've it never was like doubted it. i mean the it's a segment that dane reynolds and jordy smith all claim like they watch for inspiration it was just unbelievable it was down in mexico and I'll try to find it. I have a feeling it probably exists on YouTube. I'll try to find it and then post it. I'd like to see it. It's well worth watching. I mean, it, it's is, is it down years. at Selena Cruz, those right yeah. hand tubes. Cool. It's like if you uh, put together that segment today, it would be, a, you know, the best segment of the year. And it's five years old. Duke and Coop. Uh, you know, I, I don't have either of those. I have a Duke. Okay. And my Duke is Olamana Eliogram. You yeah. just mentioned his 10-point ride. Yes. I love Olamana Eliogram. The kid never gets a break, and he surfs so incredibly well. And I, I think I talked about a wave on this show a while ago that he got at Sunset Beach last year where he gets this insane barrel, gets spit out, and in the whitewash, like his eyes are still kind of covered. Right when he comes out, the jet ski is on the shoulder with the sled behind the jet ski and it's in his way. So he gets spit out of this wave and the sled's right in front of him and he ollies over it. <laughs> like while he's washing the water out of his face, That's he sick. sees it at the last second and then ollies the sled. And it's like, holy crap. And he got a 10 for that wave too. That's so cool. you only ever see Ola in Hawaii and he puts on these incredible performances. And then last year at Pipe broke his leg in the event at pipe, but it's like he surfs so well and then gets sidelined by something like that. In this event, the reef Hawaiian pro, he got sidelined because he got an interference, but in the heat that he got an interference, he got a 10 point ride. So he lost the heat with 10 points out of 10 possible points. Yeah. He's just unbelievable. Yeah. And I, and I saw the interview with him afterwards and he seems like a really cool together guy. He's amazing. He's from Hana. So it's like, 
out in the outskirts of Maui. Well, they brought up an interesting point, the commentators of the webcast, about how the Maui crew is sort of the new crew. Oh, yeah. Relative to, like, there was that Kauai contingent when Bruce and Andy showed up, and and there was guys like uh, Evan Valier and some other guys from Kauai that sort of... And now it's like this Maui crew is just insane. You know, like Tori, is Meister from there? No, he's from the big island. So, you know, you've got these guys. I'm going to be at a loss to name them all, but um, quite a few guys. Billy Kemper, right? Yep. And um, Ian Walsh. Ian. Clay Marzo. Marzo. Albie Layer. Albie. Matt Kai Barger. There you go. You just nailed it. So that crew is sort of owning the islands at least they're representing the islands the best what's amazing is they've always been here it's like they've been doing it for five years now and for some reason now we're finally giving them their due yeah they sort Um, of got lost in the wash or something you know yeah because they never really represented themselves as this like factor either you know like it was like before it was like this kawaii wolf pack blah 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 right the maui guys have always just been kind of independent of each other almost well this movie that we talked about with john john's air attractive distraction is well worth the ten dollars or whatever it is on itunes definitely check it out it showcases all those guys but for me ola's my duke because the kid just shows up and blows up every year he also married uh Monica Byrne Wiki a number a couple years ago. You're kidding. That kid's married. How old is he? Dude, have you seen Monica? But how old is Ola? I thought he was like they're, 20. They're in their mid 20s. Uh-huh. But Monica is like incredible. And she was on the pro. She was doing the tour for a while. Yeah, yeah. I've seen her. Everyone's knockout. seen her. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. So Monica Eliogram is her new last wow. name. But oh, yeah, great couple. Cool. Love them. Kauai or uh, Maui power. Wow. I don't have a Duke. I don't have a feel need to be negative today. And there was nothing that jumped out. You don't have a kook. I don't have a kook. I'm sorry. All right. Fair enough. Well, um, I think that about does it. I mean, we've talked a lot of pro surfing. We apologize if pro surfing is not your gig, but um, this season, what's happening now, it's sort of the stuff to, to rap about short of some massive California swell that hasn't happened. So all we care about is Hawaiian California. (laughs) Well, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here in the next month. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks to talk some more about surfing in and around the world. Um, until be, next time. Yeah. David Scales, by the way, is my name with Surf Splendor Podcast. You are Scott Bass with DownTheLineRadio.com. Right. Scott at SurftalkSanDiego.com. Right. And hello at SurfSplendorPodcast.com. And if you want to check out BoardroomShow.com, that's where all the boardroom stuff is is taking place and I've been putting up some videos and stuff there. Let's hear some Neil Young, dude. Okay, until next time, adios and aloha. Right on. Thank you everybody for listening to today's show. And of course, Uh, Early next week, we will be publishing the episode with surf photographer Todd Glazer. I mean, the guy is at the top of his game right now. So definitely tune back in on Monday, Tuesday next week to listen to that, either on our website or wherever you normally download podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher are the apps that people, uh, that most people seem to use. And if you listen in either of those apps, we always ask that you just rate and review the show. That helps other people to find the show. And of course, I know it's redundant if you listen to this show every week, but it is crucial information. And that is just simply that you share this show with friends. We produce all the content, hopefully 
Um, this content has value to you, and if you'd like to see it grow, you can just invest in the show's future by passing the word to others about the show. We don't advertise in any way, and in order to ensure that we're able to snag big guests like Peter King and Todd Glazer, you know, we need to have an audience for them to share whatever it is that they're promoting, their work. So if you can do your part by sharing, we will continue to do our part by producing the content. All right, so thanks for doing that. You can do it on social media where you can find us at Surf Splendor, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And uh, if you like the music, this Neil Young track, you know, or anything that you've heard in any episode of Surf Splendor, it's all available on surfsplendorpodcast.com along with all the videos and photos and links to articles that we discussed in today's show. So definitely check that out. You can just share the URL from today's episode with people. And I think that is all she wrote. So I hope that you enjoy the next week and I hope that you score a couple of good waves in the meantime. And until then, we will be back next week with an all new episode. This is David Scales saying ciao.